0: up about five weeks ago I spent a week like this Janie and I went on a cruise this was our sixth cruise we, we're thinking we're really big cruisers and somebody on the cruise at the uh, little return cruisers thing had been on on the ocean 2100 days Janie said how many have we been I said 40 not not quite there but hopefully we'll be there someday one of the things we like about cruising is the service that we receive. It is awesome. From the moment you get on the ship, they treat you as if you're important. You paid for it, so they treat you really, really well. You go to your room, and there's this steward, and, and I don't even remember our steward's name, but he was good. And every time, it's like he has this, this extrasensory perception that he knows when you've been in the room, because even if you've been in the room for five minutes, the dude comes in and straightens it up. And he'll put the, all of the little pertinent information. You get this, this little newsletter every day and he'll put that on your bed and at night he'll turn down the covers and he'll fluff your pillows and put little mints on the pillows. And then once a day he'll come in and he'll do these little animals shaped out of towels and we got a dolphin and we got um, a seal and then one day there's these, these two swans and they're kissing and they're in the shape of a heart. Aww. And one of the things we really like is the food. You go down to... We, every night we go to the uh, restaurant where they serve you, where you're assigned a table and they serve you. And uh, we do that because we like to get to know the waiters and waitresses. And so we go to the same table every night. And we, we really liked our waiter. And uh, he called me Mr. Douglas. He was from the Philippines. And I, he couldn't say, uh, you know, the D- Dug sound. So he'd say, Mr. Douglas. And I'd say, hey, man, what's going on? And we, every night we'd come in and I'd wheel my dad in. He's in the wheelchair and I'd stick him over there. mom's on that side. Janie and I are on the other side. And you get to order all of this food, and you can order as much as you want. And so, I mean, I've been on a few, so if there were two desserts I couldn't choose from, I'd say, I want both. And he'd say, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir, good choice, Mr. Douglas. But then, by the third night, dude, we just had a blast. And so, he started bringing me extra of whatever he thought was best that night. So we have lobster tails one night and, and he comes back and I, I eat mine and I'm like, he said, good? And I said, yes. And he said, I have another for you. And I said, for me? He goes, yes, yes, Mr. Douglas. And so he hands it down there and I'm like, dude, sure, come on. And I would always order my you know, dessert and whatever. One night I got an extra steak. One night I got extra dessert. And he's bringing me this food and, and this one night I ate so much that I had no room. And he goes, Mr. Douglas, I brought you something extra. And I said, dude, go, because he had six other tables. I said, go to another table. And he goes, no, 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 it's for you. I'm like, okay, if I have to. And so he slaps down this steak down there. Oh, and it was so good. And I, I just ate. But I had worked out so hard trying to get in shape, you know, so I could wear my uh, bathing suit, which was long. We don't do any of those others. But I started feeling guilty. And so I thought, you know, I need to work out. And these and the exercise room is to die for. By the way... Janie and I watched the second half of the Super Bowl from a big hot tub. I mean like a 40-person hot tub. We're sitting in the, in the exercise room watching the, the Super Bowl. Now, the downside of that was we didn't have any sound, but that was okay because we're in a hot tub on a ship in the middle of the ocean when y'all are having your Super Bowl parties. So we didn't, we didn't mind too much. But I did go work out. I worked out more on this ship than I ever had because I was eating like crazy. And the cool thing about a cruise is if you don't want to do anything, you don't have to do anything. There are days Janie and I would just go up and lay by the pool and read. And then there's a little ice cream machine over here. You want some ice cream? Yeah. Dad, you want some ice cream? Sure. We just... If you if you want to rock climb, there's a rock climbing wall at the back of the ship. There's an inline skating rink back there. There's there's putt-putt golf. There's ping-pong. Dancing Janie and I danced. We would take my parents back to the room because like 10 o'clock, they, they're, you know pumpkins we'd take them back to the room and then we would go dance and there'd sometimes be three or four people because we would follow the ballroom dancing people around we didn't do that other bump and grind stuff we do ballroom dancing and there was this one group that they would move around the ship and so we would go and dance we just had a blast and we loved going on the cruise and we can't wait till we go on the next one we love going on cruises because because somebody serves us and and we love y'all but we don't want to go with y'all Janie and I want to go by ourselves on a cruise and just be pampered. Now, the problem is if I come home and I want to keep wearing the robe. um, Daniel, would you you go get me some dessert, please? Actually, I want two desserts and I want a scoop of ice cream. Would you do that for me? (laughs) I have to think about it. What is wrong? If I start acting like that, is everybody going to want to be around me? No. But a lot of people do that in churches. They think that when you come to church, it's all about serve me. Serve me. But that's not what Christ envisioned. Christ said, I come to serve, not to be served. And the New Testament church is all about service. So if I'm if I'm out there today and there's lunch and I'm, you know... There was a deacon one time. We went to a deacon's meeting um, and it was deacons and and, uh, staff and and spouses and everything. We were at the Harvey Woman Center here or Women's Center, whatever you call it. And we were having this meal and one of the deacons, Janie has never forgotten this. She was so offended. He's talking and some of the wives are over here. He stops in the middle of this, has his glass and it's empty and he doesn't even look at his wife. He just rattles it. And she comes running from 40 feet across the room to fill his cup. And he never said thank you. And I said, yeah, ain't no way. That's what Janie said too. And we thought that's not what the church is supposed to be about. It's not serve us. It's service to others. If, uh, if our church, if everybody in our church felt like they needed to wear a robe and be served all the time, it might look a little bit like this video.
1: Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots.
0: I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when
1: I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys. All right? Come here. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave.
0: You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does.
1: All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail.
0: When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax?
1: Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up.
0: How about tickets to the Super Bowl?
1: That's asking too much.
0: I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game.
1: All right, you join now and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you.
0: You've never been to a church service like that, have you? Churches where it was all about the individual. Well, God expects you to make three commitments in your life that will impact the quality of And can actually drastically transform your life from now until your last breath on this earth. Three commitments. First commitment, he expects you to commit your life to Christ. The Bible tells us that God knits us together in our mother's wombs. And the whole purpose we are created for is to have a relationship with God. If you die without Christ, you miss the whole reason that you were put on this earth in the first place. Second thing he wants you to commit to is commit your life to a local church. There is no such thing as an orphan in the New Testament. There's no such thing as someone who is not spiritually connected to a family called the local church. Connected means not just that your name is on some role, but that you are involved in that church. Your heart is connected with someone else and you're doing something in that church. Then once you commit your life to Christ and to the local church, then God expects you to commit the rest of your life to spiritual growth. God wants you to grow up. He never intended for us to be a whole bunch of spiritual babies in the church, which is what too many churches are. And last week we talked about the foundation for spiritual growth. The foundation for the life that God wants you to have is faith. And let's run through this real quickly. We said that faith is believing before I see it, obeying before I understand it, giving before I have it, persisting before I feel like it, thanking God before I receive it. Everybody who was here last week and and filled out your cards on the back, I asked you to identify one of those things. And everybody did. Identified one area where they felt like God was saying they need to put their faith in action because faith is always something you do. It's not something you say. Too many Christ followers don't do anything except come to church and expect others to serve them. So, in your experience in churches, and and don't talk about any church you had never been to, and you're not even going to tell me names of churches, but in your experience in churches, has the prevailing attitude of people there been one of, I want to serve others, service, or has it been serve us? Anyone? Anyone? serve us if a non-christian was was to go to a church most of the churches that you've been to would they walk out of there going that church cares about me or would they go walk out of there saying that church cares about themselves they do not care about me the mindset is not new jesus dealt with it when he walked on the earth if you have your bibles we're going to be looking at matthew chapter 18 we're going to start in verse 1 And we read in other parts of the scripture that that, um, the disciples argued over this. Here's what they said. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, which of us is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They envisioned themselves putting on the robe and being part of of Jesus' kingly ministry, this royal status that Jesus had. But we got to understand, Jesus came to earth and he occupied two roles. Number one was son of God. Number two was humble servant. Of those two roles, those of you who have read any of the Bible, which one did Jesus expect his followers to play? Son of God or humble servant? Humble servant. He never gave us the option of being the king of kings. The problem occurs when his followers choose to follow him in the kingly role and completely ignore the humble servant role. That's the only role that we're supposed to play as his followers is to be servants to others. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms and an embarrassment to the king who is the head of the church. Now, the disciples, they've been arguing, and so they're anticipating, eagerly anticipating what Jesus is going to say. And see, there could be some quite a few arguments about this, or, or somebody could say, well, maybe Peter's the greatest because Peter got to walk on water. Peter got to see Jesus when he was transfigured on the mountaintop. Many times Peter got to go pray with Jesus and James and John and nobody else got to go. Peter is the only one that we know of that Jesus told him to go and and catch a fish and inside the fish was the temple tax to pay for Jesus and for Peter. Peter had an argument, man, that maybe he was the best. But I think that the others were also clamoring for that best position in Jesus' kingdom. And here's what Jesus says to them in verse 2. Jesus called a small child over to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I assure you, unless you turn from your sins and become as as little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, anyone who becomes as what? Humble. Anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The greatest would be humble. The greatest would not be those who put on the robe and demand service. The greatest would be the one who draped... The towel over their arm and said, How may I serve you? That's that's Jesus' definition of great. Um, our world defi- defines greatness as being served, the number of people who serve you. Jesus was completely the opposite. Jesus wanted to see how many people you serve before he made a comment about how great you were in his kingdom. He measured greatness not in terms of service, of service, not in terms of status. So God looks and says, how many people are you serving? And then he'll determine how great you are. So if you want to know your important, how important you are in the kingdom of God, look around, count the number of people you've served in the last week, and that'll tell you where you stand in God's eyes. The most important people in our church are back in the children's area right now. They're wiping snotty noses. They're changing dirty diapers. Many times when we drive home, Janie will say, I changed 18 diapers today. She does her Bible story and she does all of this stuff. And then on certain days, and and I don't know how y'all do this, but on certain days, you coordinate your children's schedules. And and they're regular. And Janie will say, I started at 1130 and I went till 1205 changing diapers. And when we drive home, which of us do you think God is more pleased with, me or Janie? It's Janie. Because God always gives greater honor to the service no one else sees. Now, they're giving away their time back there for you so you can sit in here and be fed the Word of God. And time is their most valuable asset. See, people can always make more money. You may not think so in this economy, but you're going to make more money someday. I've never found anybody anybody who could make more time. And they're giving of their time serving you. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, get off of your butt and serve. Take out the trash. Clean the bathroom. Serve somebody other than yourself. Do you know how much serving goes on at New Life before you ever get here on a Sunday? Just think through this with me. You come in the parking lot. You come in the door. Somebody usually opens the door for you and greets you there. If you have children, you go back here to the uh, children's area and you get the little security bracelets and they check you in there. You go and you drop off your children back there. You come back out and you stand in the living room. And there's music going on. And there's there's, uh, announcements scrolling through on the screens and on the TVs. There's food out there. And you can get some food to eat. You can get some coffee to drink. And you just stand there and you have a great time. There's a whole lot of stuff going on out there. And, and I've, even though, you know, we serve Jesus, I've never, I've never discovered anybody in our church that can just create food out of nothing. So somebody had to buy that stuff and prepare it and set it out. The people who are back in the children's area, they make copies, they study during the week, they make sure that their other workers are going to be there. Some of them come up and they clean their rooms and they rearrange their rooms, they build sets, they do all kinds of things so that your kids can have this incredible experience back there. And we do this on purpose because we want your kids to come back, to want to come back whether you want to come back or not. We want your kids dragging you up here. And that takes effort and that takes service. And... and. Then when you come in here, you're handed a a, a listening guide and and a registration card. Somebody had to print those up. Somebody had to cut those. The plates and the cups that you used out there, somebody had to buy those. When you enjoy the music, somebody had to practice. The band meets up here at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Most Wednesdays, they're here after everyone else is finished. After the teenagers have finished their, their Wednesday evening thing, the band starts and they rehearse. And it's not for any glory, it's so that they can lead you and, and maybe help you catch a glimpse of God's glory. They have, to, they have to sacrifice their time so that they can sound as good as possible because they don't want to be a distraction, they want to lead you to the throne of God. And if you ever get anything out of the sermon, it is because of the grace of God and not because of my smarts. Every week, I spend time studying. I spend time in front of the computer, reading, studying, praying. I read other sermons. I listen to other preachers so that my soul can be fed. And then I get on my knees sometime during the week and I say, God, I cannot do this. I can't do anything that matters beyond today, God. So I pray and I ask Him. And many times what I'll say is, God... I want to honor you with my words, with this sermon, and I want to inspire people to change. Because if we come up here and all we do is spend a little bit of time and you maybe get a little bit of feel-good in your heart, in your belly, and then you leave and nothing changes, we've wasted time, which is our most valuable asset. And if you ever feel like God is talking to you, that has to be a God thing because I'm an idiot. I'm a punk when I'm not yielded to the Spirit of God. My family knows it well, and and many of you in this church know it well too. I don't say that lightly, but I'm human, but I I know a perfect God. And when I follow Him, He uses me in ways I never would have seen. And He'll do the same for you, but you've got to put yourself in His hands, and you've got to become His hands to reach out to someone else. After the sermon, we have you fill out registration cards, Someone organizes those and gives them to me. We go buy our joy basket back there. Caught you off guard. Somebody has to count those, count the cash and the checks, and then they enter it into the computer, and they take it to uh, be deposited in the night depository. And it, the reason it's in the computer is so that at the end of the year, you get this nice little contribution statement so that you can count that off of your taxes. Woohoo! Somebody had to do all of that. And then somebody takes out the trash and we kind of clean things up and then we leave here so that we can be back here. Some of us by four o'clock on Sunday afternoon so that they can practice and rehearse for what's going on or set things up out there. And then many of you go home and you, you bake goodies for the Sunday night time so that after we finish talking in here, we can go out there and we can fellowship. And I love, I love Sunday nights because we just go out there and hang out. And I just, this is what I do. I bounce from group to group, just talking to people. I love Sunday nights and I love dessert. Thank you for making desserts for Sunday nights. But somebody had to do that. And then on Sunday nights, we close the place down. And we, we go home. And, and if, you, if you ever run into me on a Sunday morning, I mean on a Monday morning, and I'm kind of groggy, just give me grace. It's called a preacher hangover. Most alcohol hangovers happen on Saturday or Sunday mornings. Preacher hangovers are always Monday. Because no matter how well it went on Sunday, no matter how much God answers prayer and He speaks to people's hearts and lives get get changed, on Monday morning you wake up in a fog, you're tired, you're groggy. Sometimes I can't remember exactly who I talked to the day before. (laughs) And the worst thing is when I figure out that i got to do it all again in six days. You ask any preacher what the toughest thing is about preaching and he'll tell you it's that Sunday comes every stinking seven days. And every week you're trying, to, you're trying to serve people the best that you've got from the Word of God. And it's rough. And I'm not complaining at all. I love my job. I love my job. But if you're ever fed, if your children are ever touched, someone served you. Someone gave it their time so that you could benefit. And God never wanted you to become a fat, lazy Christian. He wanted you to get off your butt, take what you have received, and turn and bless others. When we get this and when we do this, Paying off the rest of the debt here is not going to be a problem. Building a building out here on the the parking lot is not going to be a problem because we're going to have people serving and giving and people are going to want to be here because this place matters. Do you understand the stakes, what we're talking about? This is when I get fired up because if we don't do it, if we don't become the church that reaches people who are far from God and leads them to connect with God and with other people, who's going to do it? The other side of that is if if new life were just to close up its doors. Let's say this is the last one and, and we just close it up. Will anybody even notice? We've got to be relevant and we have to matter. Jesus reserved some of his harshest criticism for people who should have known better, the religious leaders. And let me just explain. The religious leaders, they didn't just read the Bible. Now, the the people he was talking to, they didn't have the New Testament, and they discount the New Testament anyway, the Jews. They had the Old Testament. And the brightest of the bright, all of the men were supposed to not only read the Old Testament, they were supposed to memorize vast sections of it. So they had it down. These guys understood exactly what God had done in their past, what he was doing in their present, and what he had predicted to do in the future. There's over 50 major prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus Christ alone. That he was going to come and be the Messiah. They knew this stuff. The problem, though, was not that they knew it. The problem was that they didn't do it. Knowing and doing are something totally different in the kingdom of God. I mean, in the old, if you read in the Old Testament, you'll see that over and over, God is on the side of poor people, of widows, of orphans, of sick people. God goes out of his way to help those folks out. And if you even look at the Old Testament, you'll see that God is a God who loves the underdog and reaches out to the underdog. It's one of the reasons I I insist we do church this way is because I believe my heavenly father did it this way. He reached people that were the underdog. And, And the problem was that the religious leaders knew the Old Testament, they didn't do it. And look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23. He's talking to a bunch of of Jews and he says, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees are the official interpreters of the scriptures. So practice and obey whatever they say to you, but do not follow their example for they're hypocrites. For they do not practice what they teach. They crush you with impossible religious demands and never lift a finger to help ease the burden. According to Jesus Christ, religious leaders who never serve, who never lift a finger to help ease a burden, are worthless. You will never ever see me or my family park up here in the first parking places because I don't think we deserve that. It angers me when I see pastor and, and first lady. A lot of people call it first lady. Jane said, "Don't ever call me first lady." I don't think anybody who's a regular attender should park right up here around the building. You know who I think should get those? I think first-time guests should get the best parking places out there. Single moms who have to wrestle two or three or four kids in here, I think they ought to get the best parking places. And the rest of us ought to walk from as far away as possible so that when people drive in the parking lot, because I've seen this in churches... Every church I've been in, I've seen it at some point, people will drive in the parking lot. Some folks who who might be first-time guests, maybe your only shot, they'll drive in. If there is no parking place, they leave the parking lot and most of the time they never come back. So I want them to come in and have the best parking places. I want them to come in and be able to sit on the back row. Because if you go in someplace first time, do you go marching down to the front? No, no. You're thinking, I need to be near an exit in case this gets whacked. I do it. I visit other churches, and I still want a clear sight line to the exit. Even on the cruise, we would go and sit in places where if the show, we didn't like the Broadway show, and we did one night. Well, my dad never likes anything, so we don't base it on him. But we put his wheelchair close to the exit so that if the rest of us didn't like it, we just make him endure because he did not like anything. But there were two nights that the show, we didn't like it, so we got up and left. And it was wonderful because we didn't have to fight the crowds for the elevators. Got mom and dad in bed early and Jane and I went dancing. It was awesome. But you know that when you come in a place, we ought to be, we ought to be so obsessed with service that the best places in, in the parking lot, the best places in the church, the best food out there ought to go to our guests. Because I think that's what our Heavenly Father did. I think that's what Jesus Christ modeled when He was on the planet and he talked about that Matthew 23:11 says this Jesus said right after telling him telling them about the religious leaders are worthless he said the greatest among you must be a servant and i think his disciples looked at him and went no way and when i say that to people in this generation people say no way I mean, I'll serve God, that's okay, but I will not serve people. That's crossing the line. And you know how you can tell how spiritual you are? Jesus said it. It's how much do you love God and how much do you love other people? Hmm. Today's message isn't, isn't very easy and it's really tough for men. Surveys suggest that women are three times more likely to serve, three times more likely to give, three times more likely to be involved in a church than men. Why is that? Pride. And they're just better people. If we took a vote, who's better, me or Janie? Don't even say it, I know. I don't, you don't know how many times I've had people say, we love your wife. <laughs> and this is in times of conflict. People have said this. We love your wife. And they never ever say they even like me. But I understand. But ladies, before you get cocky, let me just remind you of that little Garden of Eden thing that really got us in this whole mess in the first place. <laughs> and men, men... Just wait. Next time I'll I'll talk about remote controls, so you can puff out your chest and talk about how you're the king of your television because men are better at some things than others, than women, you know, things that don't matter. Um, (laughs) As a Christian, Jesus calls us to be different. And here's the thing. Jesus says in in Matthew chapter 5, He says, You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. And I just want you to stop for a second. I really want you to think about this because if you don't get anything else, you've got to get this next point that's on your your listening guide. You're the light of the world and so your actions determine your wattage. Your actions determine your wattage. Or if you want to say it better, I think we need to start asking each other how bright is your light? We can make a rap out of that. We won't, but we could. Y'all say that. How bright is your light? Say it again. How bright is your light? Here's why this is important. Jesus said, I put you on a hill so that your light should shine and everyone should see me through you. (laughs) But then he says, if you're not serving, you're a low watt light bulb. And you're not bringing honor and glory to your heavenly father. You're really dim. To become the people God wants us to be, to become the church God wants us to be, we've got to move from serve us to service. We've got to take off this robe. And we've got to put the towel over our arms. And whether we like it or not, we have to serve people. It's the only way we're ever going to connect with them and lead them into the kingdom of God. It's the only way we're ever going to become the church that God desires us to be. You know, occasionally it's not bad to, to be fed. Occasionally it's not bad to go on vacation. I love vacation and I love, I love not having to do anything I don't want to do on vacation. But that's not real life. I have to come back and I have to do some things and I have to serve. And if you sit back and all you do is, is you're fed your spiritual muscles will wither and die. I mean, that's this what the Bible says in Proverbs eleven seventeen. Your own soul is nourished when you are kind. Now, let me just say this. Kindness means action. Kindness means when you have a focus of some other person and you do some action that demonstrates to them that they are valuable in your eyes. God says your soul is nourished when you do that. But look at the other side. It is destroyed When you're cruel. Have you ever wondered why your soul is dry and empty? I'm willing to bet. It's because you're not serving anybody else. That's when we get dry. That's when we get empty. How long has it been. Since your soul was nourished by a selfless act of kindness. On behalf of another person. And no matter how long it was in your mind. That just popped in. That's too long the kingdom of God, we, we should be trying to outdo one another with acts of kindness for others. Now, let me say this. It's, it's detrimental to always wear the robe, but it's also unhealthy to always serve and never be refreshed. If all you do is you... Uh, you consume all the time. You'll eventually become fat spiritually. Many people who claim they want to go deeper, I, I need more worship, I need more Bible study, your messages are too shallow, I need more, and more, and more. Really, those people aren't doing half of what the Bible already tells them to do. And, and honestly, most of those people who whine and complain like that aren't serving at all. And if they continue that course of action, they'll become judgmental, critical, demanding, and difficult to be around. And their souls will wither and die. And they'll eventually leave the church or everyone around them will wish that they did. The other side of that, though, God's Word says that we're supposed to have a Sabbath day where we rest and are relaxed and, are, and worship God so He fills our souls. If I serve all the time and I gl- neglect to be refreshed, my soul will wither and die. And I will become judgmental, critical, critical demanding and difficult to be around and my soul will wither and die and I will either leave the church or everybody around me will wish that I would. There's got to be a balance between the robe and the towel. Anybody play King of the Mountain when you're a kid? The whole purpose is to get on top of the mountain, throw everybody else down. I own you, right? But if you ever relax... You're off the hill, and you have to start at the bottom. You've got to crawl all the way back up, right? There's absolutely no room for king of the mountain in the kingdom of God. A quest for power demonstrates immaturity. A desire to serve someone else in the name of the king, that demonstrates maturity. That demonstrates spiritual growth. Let me just finish with this. Serving is is three different things. Serving is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. So in other words, you're not supposed to poor mouth yourself. If you are good at something and somebody says, hey man, you did a great job on that, you don't go, oh no, I didn't, I suck. That's, That's a false pride, a false humility. You say, thank you, God gives me everything I have or something like that. You just graciously say thank you. But true service is emptying yourself. The Bible tells us before this in in Philippians chapter 2, it's called the great kenosis or the emptying of Jesus. It says that even though Jesus was equal with God, he gave it up and he emptied himself and became a human and became obedient even to death, death on a cross. So my question to you is, when was the last time that you emptied yourself for someone else? Look at this verse, Philippians 2, 4. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Forget yourself long enough to get off your rear and serve. Second, comparing serving is comparing ourselves to Christ and not our neighbors. Again, if you have to compare yourself to someone else, well, I'm doing better than them. I'm not like them. I don't do this. I don't do this like they do. That demonstrates you're insecure and immature. The only person you have to please, is God the Father, the King. When when I go home and I've done everything that my King has told me to do and I'm focused on the King, criticism doesn't affect me the same way because my Father says, well done. Now, when I haven't done everything that my Father has told me to do, my, my King has told me to do, it magnifies the attacks of the enemy and He tells me, You're worthless. You ever felt that one? If you're feeling worthless today, you got to get your eyes on the king. If you're feeling dry in your soul, you need to serve. The last one serving is demonstrating my gratitude. The best servants I know for the kingdom of God are grateful servants. They always go back to the cross and they see Jesus hanging there and they see Him looking at them. They see the wounds. They see the blood dripping and they remember that He did that for them. And they serve not to get a pat on the back, not to be seen. They serve because they're so grateful that the King gave His life for them. See how we get things messed up in the kingdom of God? We think we're supposed to be up here and people are supposed to report to us and people... Uh-uh. God says you got it opposite. If my son suffered and died, if my son learned obedience through suffering, what makes you think you're going to be any different? Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And I'm challenging you to do the same thing. When we finish here in just a second, there's a table going to be out there at the back and it's going to have the calendars of each of our rooms back here, each of our children's area. And so some of you, see, there's two different types of people here today. There's, there's people here today who, who don't know how to serve or where to serve. That's one. But there's also people here today that honestly think some types of service are beneath them. You don't have issues with God if you think services, I mean, with me, if you think service is beneath you, you have issues with God. So I'm going to dismiss in just a moment, and, and I want you to go out there and sign up. And, and if you hate it, you don't have to go back, but you do have to find some place to serve. What if? What if we had people in the parking lot directing traffic? What if when someone first comes on, we, we had a sign out there that said, flash your lights if you're a first-time blinker. I've been to a church. I've been to a church of 30,000 that does this. They flash their lights. And if you're a first-time visitor, you come up to the front and you get the best parking place. And what if, they, if, if they're a single mom? What if they had three or four kids and we had people out there to help them herd those wonderful sheep into the pen? And we, we help direct them. Because you watch people that come in here the first time. Even though we have signs up, and I've talk, talked about this before, people who walk in the first time, they'll walk back there to, that, to the right. I don't know why this is. It's always on the right. I guess we're a conservative church. Um, people walk in and they hug the wall, the right-hand wall, and their eyes are like this. And when you start walking to them, most of the time, if you start walking up, because I, I will, I'm walking up, hey, and, and they'll go. It's almost like, oh, he doesn't see me. Hope he's, hope he's not going. You remember, don't you? I challenge you, when you go on vacation, go to a church somewhere else. Just to be reminded of what it's like to go in someplace the first time. And be reminded that we've got to get out of our comfort zone. When we come to church, it's not about us. It's about others. So, last thing is, how bright is your light? That's what I want to know. And you can determine that. Look at the last week, look at the last 30 days and ask, how many people have you served when you knew you would get nothing back from it? That's how great you are in the kingdom of God. That's where you are in God's hierarchy. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Just need to ask a couple of questions real quick. I wonder if there's anybody here, if you were to walk out this door and you were to die before you made it home, how many here are not sure you would go to heaven? Would you just look at me real quickly? Make some eye contact, and then when I see you. Anyone else? What the Bible says is all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you want to take care of that and become a child of the King, what you say is God, I know I've sinned. I know Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Please forgive me and adopt me into your family today. Real simple. You say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I know he's alive today. Please adopt me into your family. And if you prayed that today, I want you to come see me right after the service. Some of you, you know that you've not been serving. You know you've, you've been... Self-focused instead of others-focused. Would you look at me real quickly if you know that's you? Jesus says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's what you say, if that's you, if if you're self-focused. God, I have been number one in my life. And I ask you to forgive me of that. And I ask you to change me, change my heart to be more like Christ. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to write that on the back of your card today because I'm going to be praying for you this week. Now, some of you just didn't know you're supposed to serve and you're ready. When we finish here in a minute, I want you to go out and sign up for that.